Good morning. morning. I bring you greetings this morning, honoring our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to acknowledge and appreciate Reverend Ray for giving me this opportunity this morning to bring this word. I want to uh, show my appreciation for those who participated in the program, the fellow ministers and elders, officers, and friends who are in this space. Your presence here is greatly appreciated. It is a testament of the power of God and the mercies of God. The songwriter declared in Psalms 111, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. I got so excited this morning, I woke up with my heart singing. I was like, it's another day's journey, and I'm glad, so glad about it. But then I realized I'm not here to sing, amen? <laughs> In Mark 1, 21 through 28, we read the account of what has been labeled as Jesus' first public ministry action. He enters the synagogue with his disciples, educates the spiritual leaders and attendees, and he exercises a demon-possessed man and establishes a new way, a new teaching. Verse 24 says, the demonic man cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I propose to you this morning that on the Sabbath there in Capernaum, when Jesus entered the synagogue and began teaching a new way, among the cry of the demonic man and along with it, there was an internal inquiry in the insulted religious leaders. There was a breathless bewilderment in the synagogue attendees. There was a quiet caution of the crowds and an anxious attention of the new disciples, again, along with the demon-possessed man, in their minds, under their breaths, or even in their hearts, I think everyone had the same question. Jesus, what's your agenda? Why are you here? I like the Gospel of Mark and the way that the narrative moves Jesus constantly from one place to another, as though he's leaping from town to town, from activity to activity, healing as he went, engaging folk, listening, and teaching. There is what seems to be an eagerness and a high level of energy and excitement as the writer relates who Jesus is, so much so that Mark introduces us to an adult Jesus who's entering the ministry. It's quite different from the introduction of the Gospels of Matthew and of Luke. There we have the genealogies, the engagement stories, the virgin birth, the childhood biographies. But in Mark's Gospel, he just jumps right to it. It seems as though he wants to make no time wasted to get the first century believers on the mission, on the ministry, and connected to the miracles of Jesus. He introduces Jesus by looking back at the Old Testament and pointing to Isaiah's prophecy that there will be one who will come and point out that there'll be another. And so then we go to John, who is proclaiming 
a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins to the people in the wilderness. And in verse 10, John says, there is a Messiah coming. And when he sees Jesus and is baptizing him in the pool or in the River Jordan, he said, you are he. And we see this confirmation there in verse 10 when God sends down his confirmation, this is my son. So again, we jump right back into action. Jesus is immediately called into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted by Satan and he emerges from the wilderness only after John is arrested and he begins to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God or more specifically, the reign of God. He attracts crowds of followers and seeks out a few specific fishermen whom he recruits as his disciples. From the onset, the prologue in Mark narrates the dawn of the kingdom at the margins of the world, in the wilderness. There are aspects of Mark's narrative that would give us a direct reflection of the social reality of Jesus' day, economic and political deterioration, especially in the decade prior to the upheavals of the Roman Jewish war, had dispossessed significant portions of the Palestinian community. These included the densely populated rural areas of Galilee. There was disease and physical disability, and it was inseparable to the cycle of poverty, a phenomenon that we still see today despite the advent of all our modern medicine. For the day laborer, illness meant unemployment and instant impoverishment, much like today. This represented a major aspect of the social location, the crowds who were there in the background, but really for Jesus in the foreground. So Jesus moves from the wilderness, from the outskirts of Galilee, into what is indeed the heart of the provincial order, a synagogue in the city of Capernaum. It is unclear how Jesus, an itinerant preacher, moves from the wilderness to the synagogue. Was he invited? We can infer that he was. But either way, Ched Myers records in Binding the Strongman, Jesus enters a sacred place, the synagogue, at a sacred time, the Sabbath, and stirs things up. He establishes a new thing that he models for his disciples and followers. And they say, Jesus, why are you here? First, Jesus answers the disciples and the crowds. I'm here to do community building as a resource connected to the source he gives those in the synagogue a revelation of the plan of his heavenly father to get the church in order. Though Mark does not specifically tell us what his teaching is, we can figure it out a little bit. For it says they were astonished at his teaching for he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. We can figure out that Jesus wasn't teaching what the scribes were teaching that it might have had a little contrast going on. 
And we know the scribes, they're the keepers of the law. They're the maintainers of the purity codes. They're the maintainers of the cleanness. They upheld and judged what was lawful and unlawful and who was ceremonially or ritually clean or unclean. Most scholars agree that Jesus was not specifically addressing the individual laws, but rather the system of laws that justify the religious entities, alienation and oppression of others. Jesus was willing to deny the Judaic letter of the law when the law failed to extend the compassion of the Lord that Jesus was proclaiming. I'm building community. I'm responding to need. That's why I'm here. I'm making disciples, not apprentices who will launch their own business projects or succeed me. I'm making disciples, followers who will capture my heart and do what I do and love like I love and serve as I serve. The disciples whom he called out personally, who have just left their family businesses, their homes, to follow this leader. And his message to them is summed up like it is in Matthew 27, 2027. If you really want to be great, serve. This wasn't some corporate enterprise with upper management getting a large chunk of the, the profits or the benefits. Jesus was making waves and requiring a shift in our thinking. Don't just give someone who is hungry something to eat, but give yourself to the community call of hunger, to the national and global community's needs. The work of the kingdom building is not to be done alone. We become God's hands, God's feet, God's arms when we yield ourselves to be God's instruments. If the systems are failing the people, help change the systems in the new community. Well, that comes to our second answer. Jesus, why are you here? He answers the unexpressed question of the synagogue leaders by responding to the demonic spirits in the unclean man. I came in power to shut down every system that will not yield to God's will. Somebody say, stop the madness. Stop the madness. That's what Jesus came for. He said, whether this man was unclean spirit, whether it was an actual man or whether it was a symbolism of all of the demonic activity going on at the time, whether it was a symbolism of the occupation of the Roman Empire and all of the different situations that were going on to oppress the people. Some scholars will debate that. But either way, when Jesus encounters this character, he says, I, he says, Jesus, what will you have to do with us. And Jesus is responding. And he calls not to the man, but to the spirit in the man. Be silent and come out. The situation that was crippling the man, the situation that had him in anguish, the situations that were causing restrictions on him, that was causing him to be an outcast, causing him to be unclean, 
Jesus was prepared to do battle with it, and Jesus was prepared to win. And take notice here that he does not deal with the man as much as he deals with the spirit. Some of us have to take note of that because we all have something maybe going on. So Jesus is here because he has to address the injustice wherever he sees it. Jesus is cleaning house. To you and to me, Jesus is answering that I am trying to establish the reign of God in this place and in you. Will you be my follower? Will you be my disciple? Will you be a part of my community? I remember when I first began to encounter the Lord for myself. My conscience began to be pricked by the word of God and the more and more and more I began to feel a sense of guilt and shame about things that were going on in my life. But it didn't seem to bother anybody else. I was hanging out, smoking a little smoke, drinking a little drink, raising a little heck. And all the time I was in full company of others and loving it. My conviction wasn't so much about what I was doing, but more about what I was not doing. I wasn't in a sincere relationship with the Lord. I wasn't praying, I wasn't studying the Bible. I wasn't participating in any kind of kingdom building, community building activities. I wasn't even concerned really about the needs of others. I was void. Actually, I was a bit like the man with the unclean spirit, but not so much in the sense of having a demon in me, but more in the sense that I too said, Jesus, what could you have to do with me? I could not comprehend that God could really deal with and encounter and work with me. I felt a sense of worthlessness. I couldn't get anything right. I was always messing some things up and I didn't have anything to contribute. And on and on and on. My reasoning was endless, much like the legion that might have possessed the man. So on second thought, perhaps I was a little more like the demon-possessed man than I had imagined. But somehow through the excuses, through the fear, through the doubt, I was able to accept Christ's offer and embrace God's love for me. And it took the love of Christ and the becoming a part of God's community, participating in it, working in it, sometimes just waiting in it, that I began to experience the freedom from maybe the demon of self-doubt, of selfless, selfishness, of, of bias, of hate, you know, um, of the fear maybe that plagued my life early on. And I still acknowledge that there is a sense of, you know, I'm not worthy, but I think it's more replaced with, but God, I thank you, I trust you. And in reality, I recognize this, that feeling of worthlessness might have been a little bit of a legion or a demon that so many people have to be exercised from. Jesus says, I want you to know me as the Holy One. I want you to know me as the healer. 
And he's still offering that to us today. He's still offering that power, that love to us today. But finally, Jesus has a question. He asks you and he asks me, why are you here? And I hope seeing what he has done as he enters into the synagogue in Capernaum, that we are able to answer that Jesus, we are doing what you have set as an example for us to do. We are building community. We are looking outside of ourselves for the need that you help us to discover in others. And we are making way to build relationships and to build systems that will respond to that need. Jesus declares, I want to get all up in your space and teach you how to love others. And where our response should be, yes, Lord. Jesus says to us, you can have my power. You can have my spirit. You can have the ability that I have. But will you be able to have and carry my love? Will you be able to go into the places where my people are hurting and speak, even when they don't look like you, smell like you, act like you, or even really embrace you? Will you do it not so much for them, but for me? And I want our response to be, yes, Lord. That's why we're here. He's calling us to engage in the world, not to withdraw from it. It's great to gather, but we gather to get empowered, to go out and to serve. It's great to be in a place like Jan Hus, where we know we are doing that work, but we're doing that work here. And there's so many places to go. And so I encourage you and I challenge you at the same time that when you consider why are you here, make sure that you're here getting prepared. Make sure that you're here doing the work. Make sure that you're here watching, waiting, and listening for the next move of God. Because you see as in Mark, he's always moving. He's always moving. So why are you here? We're here to do what Jesus has called us to do. God bless you.